millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Support for Mississippi Edition comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art's presentation of When Modern Was Contemporary, selections from the Roy R. Neuberger Collection, from Georgia O'Keeffe to Jackson Pollock. Details at msmuseumart.org. Good morning. It's 8.30. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a new website helps Mississippians with the voting process in advance of November's presidential election. Then, prepping for disaster and a better economic future along the Mississippi River. Later, a look ahead to tomorrow's at issue on MPB TV on the people and the police. My son and, and my daughter are both terrified of the police. Every time they see a policeman now, they're like... Mama, it's the police. You know, they're going to shoot us. We constantly relive the day. You know, my uncle came to the house and told us that Ronnie had been shot and killed by a policeman. And in our book club, the grassroots of the civil rights movement in Mississippi. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. State officials are launching a new website to help Mississippians be more informed and active voters. Called Y'all Vote, an online information portal allows Mississippians to register to vote, update their information, find their polling place, and see who's running for office. Governor Phil Bryant says officials are hopeful the site will boost registration. I hope everyone knows, or they should know with your help, that we have an election the 8th of November, a very important election. More uh, Mississippians, I hope, will turn out that election than any election in Mississippi's history. It will be a time not only to elect the next president of the United States, but also nonpartisan uh, judicial races will be on the ballot, and two ha- uh, House seats uh, that are up will be also be on the November ballot, so the House of Representatives will add two new members based on uh, the voting in uh, this next November. One of the things that the Secretary of State has been uh, remarkable in doing, and he's been remarkable in doing many things, but is to helping register Mississippians to vote. It is something I've been passionate about for all of my political career. I remember very early starting with the Mississippi Realtors Association and working with them as they go about Uh, the closing of home purchasing, to be able to move the vote, as we called it in those days, to be able to register people who are buying new homes or transferring uh, to another uh, home uh, to be able to register to vote. Now, with the use of technology, uh, they'll be able to do that uh, easier than ever. Uh, It's called Y'all Vote, perfect name for Mississippi's effort to be able to qualify all of the people in Mississippi who meet the qualifications, the standards for, uh, to vote, to be able to do so. I, I am amazed, and I've confirmed with the Secretary, uh, that 80% of the eligible uh, voting age population, 80% are in fact registered to vote in Mississippi. Uh, that's an astounding number. Again, it goes against the national narrative that you would perhaps hear that somehow we are not uh, getting our 
citizens out to vote. We're not encouraging them to do so. Just the opposite is true. This web-based system that you'll see we all vote will encourage not only everyone that has the ability to be registered to vote to do so, but will make it much easier. And will make it easier when people are moving from one location to the other. Governor Phil Bryant. Secretary of State Delbert Hoseman tells MPB's Desiree Frazier he wants to continue to make it easier for Mississippians to vote. I think the most important thing is people be able to change their mailing address and go to the right polling place at home at night when they get off work. They don't have to go by the circuit clerks or order a ballot, uh, I mean order a change and forget to fill it in or forget to mail it back. It costs a stamp and all the other things. It's not only just the cost of mailing and stuff. There are people involved with that, and this is done automatically. Circuit clerk looks at it, checks it off. Uh, Time of the taxpayer is important. If it's time they could spend working or with their children, that's more important than trying to fill out forms. So we, we take, I think, the fact that it's easy and fast will be very helpful. Are you concerned about any security risk? No, we've got we've got it backed up well, I think, and, and still we have to show a voter ID when you go to cast your ballot. So even if somebody were to get in, we would know it. We we monitor it daily. Uh, we'd know if there was any hacking involved. But um, as I said, there's nobody going to steal the election because all our voting machines are not connected to the internet. So they're just calculators, really. They won't steal the election. But if anybody were to get in the statewide management and move you from Hines to Warren or something. Uh, we'd know that. In terms of the locator service, what makes that uh, an integral part? We want people to go to the right place. There's nothing we have. Every election we'll have people show up, oh, this is my old voting. Am I supposed to go to my new one? That happens time and time again. And as our Mississippi citizens and taxpayers very much more computer-oriented now, as they can get on the computer and tell them where to go, that saves them time at 7 o'clock in the morning. They don't have time if they're standing in line. They get in there at 7.15 and they got to go to work at 8. They don't have time to go drive across town. So this hopefully will make sure more people actually cast their ballot. So I can put in my name, go on there, my address, and I can find out where I'm going to vote. That is correct. We have a polling place locator. Even if you're not changing your address, well, that will be available to any citizen who may have just forgotten where they go vote if that, if that happens. You mentioned the military, that you're concerned about getting out the vote of the military personnel, uh, maybe in other states, overseas? Um, all of the military historically have not been able to cast their ballots. Now, when I got into this, as you know, I told you the Department of, uh, Department of Defense asked me to go, and I went to Kuwait, Afghanistan, Iraq, and went out in the field with men and women that are fighting for the country. In that, you know, they have they have they are embedded now. It's not like like one unit at a time. Sometimes there'll be sailors in with others. There'll be army in with special forces, air force with this. And so the units are harder to determine. And so people are moving around a lot within the military. So with that, it becomes much harder for us to track them down with a mail ballot, if not impossible to get them a mail ballot. So this electronic, where they can get online, you know, they got a few hours off one night or something from fighting, they can go online and cast a ballot. MPB's Desiree Frazier with Secretary of State Delbert Hoseman on Y'all Vote, the new online voter registration and information portal in the state. In other news, a group of mayors along the Mississippi River is working to improve economic development and disaster preparedness. MPB's Paul Boger reports. More than two dozen mayors from cities along one of the nation's largest rivers are meeting in Natchez this week to discuss how to make their communities better. With so much historic flooding along the river this year, Many of the city leaders are calling on the Federal Emergency Management Agency for help streamlining disaster preparedness programs. 
Greenville Mayor Eric Simmons says federal assistance should help the entire region affected by disasters, not just specific states. We recommend FEMA make changes to the program that will allow for broader multi-state projects without state limitations and boundaries. Mississippi River mayors are also looking for ways to improve economic development. Clarksdale Mayor Bill Luckett says restoring some federal grants brings commerce up and down the river. Back in the day, it was the main way to transport just about everything. And then rail and trucking sort of overtook it. But now people are realizing the river is a very valuable resource for commerce. The mayors also hope a new travel site launched by National Geographic will bring tourism to towns along the waterway. Paul Boger, MPB News. Up next, a look ahead to tomorrow's At Issue on MPB TV on the people and the police. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. One day, one drive, one goal, $100,000. We need $100,000 to pay the cost of all things considered. Help us reach our goal during a one-day drive tomorrow. To give now, visit mpbonline.org. Hi, we're We're MPB MPB Think Think Radio. Friday, your station needs your help. We're trying to raise $100,000, the cost of all things considered. And we're doing this in one day. One drive, one day, $100,000. Visit mpbonline.org for more information. And tune in all day Friday to MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A white former Columbus police officer is expected to stand trial in the killing of an unarmed black man almost a year ago. This case mirrors others across the nation involving white police officers killing unarmed black men. Tomorrow's At Issue on MPB TV takes a look at police-involved shootings across the state. In this clip from the show, Peggy Shumpert, the widow of Ronnie Shumpert of Tupelo, talks about how her husband's shooting death has affected her and her family. Shumpert was killed by a Tupelo police officer on June 18th. He was unarmed at the time. The officer was not indicted in the killing. My son and and my daughter are both terrified of the police. Every time they see a policeman now, they're like, Mama, it's the police. You know, they're going to shoot us. And, and they know about what's all going on because it's so wrapped around. You know, it, it's just like an everyday ongoing thing. We constantly relive the day that, you know, my uncle came to the house and told us that Ronnie had been shot and killed by a policeman. So it's like there's no escaping it. I don't have a problem with death. I know at some point everybody has to die. But what I do have a problem with is the man that I've been knowing for 10 years that I know wouldn't hurt a fly. Had to leave the the way that he left by people who were supposed to serve and protect. How do you explain that to a three- and four-year-old? I'm not investigating. I don't really know how it actually happened. But to say that my husband was on him, on him, repeatedly beating him, no. I don't believe that at all. So I don't really know exactly how it went down, but I can definitely say that I feel like that it was extreme force. 
his teeth kicked in. The laceration under his eye, the bruising to his nose. Now, you tell me that he was on top of the officer beating him, but my husband suffered way more injuries than I seen that the officer had. So to me, the officer had the upper hand from the beginning. When they said that the officer didn't do anything wrong, when they said they stood behind the officer, it's just like I couldn't, I, I don't, it's like we're not dealing with even human beings here. That's how I feel. How can you look at all the things that was done? Even the officer being present as he was doing it. But you say that they didn't do anything wrong? Like my mom said, why don't you put your sibling or your relative in the midst of this? And let's just see was anything done wrong. Would you still feel the same way? Not at all. No doubt about it. You know these are wrongful acts. You know that what was done is wrong. I want to see the men that are responsible for this, the, the people that are responsible for this. They need to go to prison. If it was anybody else, they'll be already gone. But because you got a badge and you got people that standing behind you, you're out running free. You're still able to be active with your family. They need to do what's right here. And he needs to go to prison or who all that was involved needs to go to prison. Peggy Shumpert, widow of Ronnie Shumpert, who was killed by a Tupelo police officer while unarmed. Police chiefs Lee Vance and Joey East are with the Jackson and Oxford Police Departments, respectively. They say the incidents in other police departments have affected how their officers do their jobs. Chief Vance speaks first. It's created uh, a challenge for us. Uh, to make sure that the citizens of this city know that we come from a community-oriented policing perspective. And basically what that means is is that we want to work with the public to make Jackson safe. Uh, Our officers are going to participate in outreach programs. We're going to be professional and respectful, and we're going to enforce the law as well. You don't have to be seen as outside uh, agitators in the community in order to be effective as far as law enforcement is concerned. So we want to work with the community, not against the community. Chief East, how have these incidents affected perception of your department? Well, I think we've had several community uh, meetings, and <clears throat> I don't know if it changed our perception, the way people thought of us, but it and when we had these meetings, there were a lot of people that were apprehensive and scared on a national level, which brought it to a local level. But once we met and we spoke and they realized that we're not Chicago, we're not a bigger city that's having some issues, they realized that, that we are a community-based police department. We are their friends and neighbors and brothers and sisters, and, and we worked through it and we talked on some hard subjects and we moved forward, and, and everything seems to be going really well there. We're still doing a lot of outreach to make sure we have those bonds with one another. You both talked about outreach, uh, Chief Vance. You mentioned community policing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what in, in Jackson, what is community policing exactly? Community policing is basically an attitude adjustment, especially on the part of law enforcement. 
because I've been around long enough to remember when that wasn't the concept. When we went into neighborhoods, we went in, we made arrests, we went in, we wrote tickets, and we left. We were not seen as a part of the community. We were just simply seen as somebody who were just simply law enforcement officers. But when you go to the community-oriented policing concept, you must be seen in the community doing more than enforcement. Jackson Police Chief Lee Vance and Oxford Police Chief Joey East on MPB-TV's At Issue. The next episode of At Issue deals with police-involved shootings in Mississippi and airs tomorrow night at 7.30. Up next in our book club, a look at the grassroots of the civil rights movement in Mississippi from a man who was there at the beginning. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. One day, one drive, one goal, $100,000. We need $100,000 to pay the cost of all things considered. Help us reach our goal during a one-day drive tomorrow. To give now, visit mpbonline.org. Hi, I'm Jason Klein, director of MPB Radio. It's time for our fall drive, but we're changing the game this year. Our goal is to raise the cost of all things considered. One drive, one day, $100,000. Like other state agencies, MPB's budget has been cut. So we need your help now more than ever. Your contribution combined with other members makes a huge difference. And this year, it's only one day, one drive, $100,000. Friday on MPB Think Radio. And thank you. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Hollis Watkins is a native Mississippian who was engaged in grassroots organizing in the state as a field secretary for the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, or SNCC, during the 1960s. Watkins was there at the beginning of the civil rights movement in the state, well before the nation and the world took notice. In his new book, Brother Hollis, the Sankofa of a Movement Man, Hollis tells his story with honesty and insight, bringing a fresh look to the civil rights movement in Mississippi. He tells us in today's book club he started at a young age asking an important question why are things like they are i had to walk to school and walking to school from where i lived meant walking to school three miles as i was walking to school the white kids they passed by riding the bus my biggest questions was to older people why is it that the black people you know, is treated this way, and the white people is not treated the same way. And it was very perplexing to me because uh, I grew up in a very spiritual, religious family, deep faith in God, and I didn't understand why God would allow what I thought to be injustice of a criteria standard for white folks that were not the same standard for black people. At what point did you become an activist, and did you even think about it in those terms, that you were an activist? I became an activist on a small scale when I was 17 with Metka Evers. Metka Evers was having meetings with young people, and which I found out later was that he was mobilizing and organizing youth chapters of the NAACP was in 1959. A couple years later is when Bob Moses came to town. Friend girl of mine told me about 
Dr. Martin Luther King, she had gotten the wrong information. So I went looking for Dr. King and found But it was Bob Moses. Found Bob <laughs> Moses. When he explained to me what he was doing and asked me if I wanted to join them, I said yes. And that's what I did. So that was my first beginning to work with SNCC, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. You were one of the first Woolworth sit-in yes. protesters. You ended up in jail. Yes. You were threatened in jail? Yes. How were you threatened? Even before going to jail, there were white people that threatened us. But after being in jail, the jailer said that there was a mob, for example, outside waiting for us to get out so that they could kill us. There were other times when the jailer himself would come and talk about how when black folks get out of line, they're put back in line. And in most cases, in the process of being put back in line, some way or another, they would lose their life. Surely that had to scare you. Did it have you reconsider the path you were on at that point? It had no impact on changing my mind. I had decided that this was something that needed to be done. This is something that as many as possible, especially black people, needed to begin to work on because this was about improving the conditions of black people. I realized that black people were constantly being killed, beaten, put in jail for no reason at all. And I had gotten to the point where that I said, I'd rather be killed, I'd rather be put in jail, I'd rather be beaten for doing something to make things better for all people than to be beaten and killed for doing nothing. So I said I got to keep on going. Are you still an activist? I have been an activist all my life. What do you say to kids that are in high school now? For them, this would be ancient history. This is your life. This is the way you've lived your life. And I'm sure there are kids that have no idea who you are or, or Medgar, Medgar Evers. Evers. What do you say to those kids? In talking with young people, I try to get them to, to look at the reality of what has happened in the past, look at the changes that that helped to bring about, but more so to look at the here and now, the here and now. What is it that you feel need to be changed that could be made better, better for all people? So that's what you should focus on. And after looking at those things, then you should decide which of these things that I feel comfortable in attempting to do something about. One thing that I'm almost 100% sure of, I tell them, that if you take a good look and be honest with yourself, you will find something that you feel is not right, something that is wrong, something that needs to be changed and made better. You say, uh-huh, this is the one for me, and that's the one that you start out on. And I guarantee you that if you talk to enough people, you will find some ones who feel the same way you feel about that. 
And once you do that, that's the beginning of an organization. That organization can develop and will, if you be persistent with it, in becoming a movement. Hollis Watkins' book is Brother Hollis, the Sankofa of a Movement Man. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a blessed day. Coming up after Mississippi Edition, it's Creature Comforts, MPB Season Pass, and Southern Remedy. And remember to download our podcast. Just search for Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app and listen whenever you like. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio. One day, one drive, one goal, $100,000. We need $100,000 to pay the cost of all things considered. Help us reach our goal during a one-day drive tomorrow. To give now, visit mpbonline.org. Hi, I'm Sharita Brent. Tomorrow...